Hey, it's the Feeling Family Podcast, a place where feelings are felt, stories are shared, and you are valid. With hosts Kylie and Sierra, you will dive deep into people's life stories and experiences facing each emotion along the way. From happiness to sadness, pain, joy, anger, hope, and everything in between, every feeling is important and we hope to prove it. Thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the Feeling Family. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of the Feeling Family Podcast. Yay! This is your host, Kylie, with her awesome co-host, Sierra. Yippee! This is going to be a really good episode. We just found out that this episode is going to come out the Monday after Sierra gets married. Yippee! Yoo-hoo! Yeah, yeah, I'm dancing! She is dancing. <laughs> and confirm. I'm so excited to get married. I'm going to be married. I can't wait to have like an episode about what it's like to be first married in a little bit. Because, wow, that was a traumatizing time for me. But let's see how it was. it's going to be for you. It probably won't hit you like soon. So maybe in like a year we'll have that episode for an I feel married episode. <laughs> And see how it goes. But actually, a little transition here. Our next guest that we have today talks about being married a lot. She seems like she has a good marriage. Oh, she also talked about how hard her first year was. Good luck. Yeah, she had a really hard first time getting married. Uh, Our guest today, Emily, she um, is a survivor from sexual abuse and so when she first got married uh she actually was triggered in a lot of ways just because uh she had a lot of flashbacks with uh the things that she went through and it made it really hard for their marriage but her husband um was really what she said she relied on and was able to i guess heal because of his help yes she hosts her own podcast called speaking to shame and we actually did our own episode on her podcast which won't be out for a while but Then she came on ours and she told us her story. This episode, I will say, has, we will give a little trigger warning because there is a lot of talk of sexual abuse, especially in adolescence, which is very hard for a lot of people to hear. It was pretty tricky for me to hear myself. And even though it's hard to hear, it is important. And I'm glad that she came on to talk about it. She does an incredible job at just sharing um, how she overcame the shame that she felt from it and how she was able to just uh, heal and just to, I guess, like her podcast uh, is, speak to speaking to shame and just kind of healing from it and moving forward. Yeah, she does a really good job. She's great with words, great with analogies, and you can tell that she knows what she's talking about. So we think that you're going to like this one and... Let's welcome Emily on. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, um, the Feeling Family podcast. We're so grateful for you coming on and being willing to share your story. Yeah. It's yeah. Super fun to be able to now hear from you. You got to hear oh, all sorts of things bit. from us. And now it's your turn. Um, yeah. We just would love if you started off by introducing yourself. 
Yeah. <laughs> Hi, it's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. It's really fun to um, switch and take turns. Uh, it's so nice that I know I'm not going to have to do anything to this episode after I don't have to produce anything. I don't have to edit. I don't have to share. <laughs> I just get to wait until you tag me on social media and wherever else and go, ah, <laughs> yeah, we just get to do it. But then you have your own work. <laughs> right. Hours, so, right. Um, great, I guess. Yes, exactly. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. I'm Emily. My name is Emily Stearman. I go by M. Uh, and I am a person who is like just trying to figure their shit out. I am a mom. I live in Idaho. Um, I love nacho cheese. My husband just got like a big thing of it from Costco the other day. Did you know they sell? They're as big as my head that from Costco. Awesome. And it's like $10. And I think I've never been closer to happiness in a jar than I am with that. <laughs> <nacho cheese jar. laughs> Honestly, <Miraculous. relatable. laughs> Seriously though, like coping skills, good. Nacho cheese also good. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I grew up in Idaho and um, I had a tumultuous childhood. That's a good word to, to, to describe my childhood. I also had a lot of love in my childhood. Um, so it was like an Oreo, like a sandwich of tumult and and love. And I carried a lot of that with me, not really knowing how to talk about it, not having the tools or the support, um, not feeling safe to talk about it. And then my husband and I got married. I was 20, 22 when we got married, 21 when I got, I don't know how old I was. I was an age when we got married. <laughs> and I started having flashbacks, um, which are just like a fancy way of saying I started remembering. Um, I had repressed uh, a ton of childhood abuse and some of it sexual, some of it physical, some of it emotional, um, some of it just neglect. And that was like the my beginning into my marriage. The first few years of my marriage were really hard. I'm having all these flashbacks and all these memories coming back, and I don't know what to do with them because... It felt like, I don't know, it felt like for a while I had been like wearing this mask and like putting on a smile and faking it. And then when I finally felt safe with my husband, who I love dearly, uh, it was like the mask was forcibly removed from me and I had to face it. And and really what I understand from trauma now is our brains really, really want us to understand and make sense of what happens to us. Our brains are really good at keeping us going. They're good at you know, doing what they need to do to just keep us, keep us swimming with all the other fish. And then when we feel safe to take a breath and remember our brain is like, okay, let's circle back to this really thing, big thing that we didn't get a process, like the left and right hemispheres, we weren't connected on this. So let's like, you're safe now. Let's talk about this. Let's work through this. And that was really my experience. Um, and I, you know, it was really tumultuous and I don't think it stopped being tumultuous, but it has become healing. It has become, Um, I found authenticity. I found ways to honor little M. I found so much joy in being myself and showing up authentically in the world. Um, It's helped me a ton in my parenting. I have two kids and it's helped me so much show up authentically as the mom that I am and agonize less about the mom I'm not (laughs) and all the things that my kids will be getting from me and that the things that they can get from other people, I, I no longer um, beat myself up for trying to do everything for everyone all the time, because that was definitely a way that I survived. Um, my husband and I've been married for, oh hell, how long have we been married for? I don't know, like six or seven years, (laughs) a bit. (laughs) Um, and we still live in Idaho 
And I, I don't know, the last two ish years since I started my sharing uh, my community, my platform. And then it's been about a year since I started my podcast. Uh, I speak, I, I travel across the country and I speak to groups about surviving childhood abuse. And my podcast is called Speaking to Shame, where we talk about the shame that has kept us hidden and feeling unfindable for so long. And that's about me. <laughs> I love it. Uh, what got you to start the podcast? Mm, so oh, it's a long answer and a short answer. Um, the short answer is I wanted a community and I, I know that there was already a community there. Um, I was already around people who I could have talked to about this, but it was not, that wasn't a skill set that I possessed at the time. It was really hard for me to just like walk up to people in like the grocery store or people that I was seeing, you know, in my community and go, Hey, I like, how are you doing? Like, really not just like, Oh, I'm doing so good. But like, how are you actually doing? Yeah. That was not, that was not a skill set I, I had at the time. So I started the podcast because I wanted a community. Um, the long answer is when my daughter, so I have a daughter and a son and my daughter's older than my son. She's our first child. She was born, um, four years ago and I struggled with very deep depression. I had, I had a pretty, pretty shitty case of postpartum depression and I had a plan to end my life. I was ready to go. Uh, I just didn't want to hurt so much. It was like just exhausting to live. And I know that sounds melodramatic. And if you've never been there before, that's great. You don't have to have been there. Um, I just ask that you have empathy for people who have been there, you know, put on, put on your big girl panties or your big person panties and say, this is something I, I don't know about. And I'm going to sit with you in this discomfort. If you do know what it's like to want to end your life, I'm sorry. And I'm proud of you and you're not alone. <laughs> But I just felt like motherhood was not at all what I was told it was going to be. And I felt like I went from having a community and a group and like a place in the world to being just like slingshotted into like space where the nearest connective human was, I mean, my daughter was right there breastfeeding all the time or in my lap, but the nearest person that I could actually talk to was like a light year away. I just felt so disconnected and separate. Uh, and that is where I started. I, I chose to stay and it, my depression didn't miraculously leave me. I, I had postpartum depression for about a year and my daughter was just a few months old when I decided that I wasn't going to end my life. And I didn't know about this until just a few months ago, but I also had perinatal depression, like looking at my symptoms and comparing them to perinatal. I was like, oh shit, I had depression the whole time. I was not doing good, you know? Mm -hmm. But again, I just like was doing the best I could and mm -hmm. um, just like hoping for the best, which I don't regret that because I was doing what I could with what I had. And I have a lot of grace for myself four years ago, but that's what started me on this like long journey. Um, and I started talking about my feelings. I got into therapy in 2021, like very early 2021 after 2020, I feel like everybody needs therapy. <laughs> like, are you doing okay if you're not in therapy? But, um, yeah, I just, I started therapy and my online community, I started a couple years ago and I didn't even know that I would start a podcast when I first started talking on the internet. I, I just started sharing because again, I had gone through this really dark, deep 
experience where I felt so isolated from people and I was seeking connection Mm -hmm. and I found connection on the internet. Beautiful. Love it. Don't regret it at all. But about a year into my experience on the internet, I went, I want to talk about shame because as I continued to heal and, and find the parts of me that had felt unfindable and lonely and isolated through childhood. And then through my postpartum depression experience, I realized that shame was part of them all. Like shame was a common thread woven into all of these really personal, difficult experiences. And I was like, wait a minute. And I started talking to my therapist about shame. And I was like, like, I remember feeling like Eureka, like, like, you know, like shame was the unfortunate answer and not the answer in that it saved me, but speaking to shame and calling shame out and beginning to recognize it for sure. Um, for sure helped me heal and put pieces together that I had been trying to put together for years. So that's a long answer. (laughs) No, I love that answer. I think, um, owning the feeling company, I'm constantly like thinking of what would go on a shirt or like what episode would be to talk about in a certain feeling. And I honestly, until I heard about your podcast, the thought of shame and that feeling never even came to my mind. Mm. And then as we were preparing to get on your podcast, um, I was thinking a lot about shame. And then especially as I was listening to your previous episodes and it wasn't a feeling that I ever thought about before. So I would love it if you could explain a little bit what your idea or what you think shame is. Yes. Oh, I love talking about this. Okay. I'm looking at the clock, so I don't take more than like 10 minutes to talk about this. Cause I could talk about it all day. So I'm going to honor the stages. Cause now what I know of shame now is after years of research and learning and reading and sitting in it. So in the beginning, when I first started to do this work, shame, I thought of shame as like Brene Brown's definition, which is, um, guilt is I did a bad thing and shame is I am a bad thing or I am bad. So shame is like the ownership of the, I wouldn't say negative emotion. Cause I don't think any emotion is negative, but it's the ownership of the the badness, I guess. Um, and that's what I thought shame to be. And I don't disagree with that at all. Queen Brene has got it figured out. She's done her (laughs) research, but, um, as I've gone through my own journey of shame, I have some different ways to describe it. Um, so when I first began talking about shame, it felt literally like I was taking off this backpack that I had been carrying with me and I was opening it up and, and looking inside at all of this shame that I had been carrying around that I had like written my name on, or someone else had written my name on and put it in the backpack Mm -hmm. for me. And I thought that I owned it. And, and then I suddenly had eyes to see that so many other people were also walking around with backpacks on full of shame. And so then suddenly it became like the systemic issue. And for a while I was like really obsessed with how shame spreads and I'm not, not obsessed with that anymore, but I think as I've sat with more people and learned of their stories and, and, you know, held space for them, I realized that shame is such a complex thing because it's on one hand, it's this really social emotion. So like, you know, think of school, like if you're, if you're the kid who isn't wearing the cool clothes, then you get shamed for it. You get made fun of, you get told you're, you're. You can't sit with us because you're not wearing clothing like everybody else or, or whatever it is. Like there are different examples, but so it's the social emotion. Like, oh, my casserole isn't as good as Susan's, you know, mm-hmm. 
Like it's a social emotion that it's brought about when we compare our output to what other people's doing, yeah. what other people are doing. But then on the other hand, shame is this intensely personal sounds like us and our parents and our best friends and our grandmas and our grandpas and our, all the people around us, because unfortunately we have been like exchanging shame, like a currency. Like it's been like this, this monetary exchange almost, but it's shame. Like how many times have you heard someone say disparaging things about their body? They've shamed themselves for their body. Like, Oh, I look so fat. You know, it happens in dressing rooms. It happens in Facebook groups as a parent. It happens all the time. Parents are shamed. Mom shame is such a real thing. Like, Oh, you formula fed like, Oh, quit it, Patricia. That's shame. You know? (laughs) But so then like, as I've gone through like these evolutions of shame, I've come to personally think shame as it is the experience. Shame is for me, the experience of pulling in and down and away. And it's not the same as like, I need some space. I need some time. We all need time and space. We all need to like do our own thing. Shame is the feeling that we should be in and down and away. Like I think of like a a flower closing or like, um, an animal curling in on themselves. Like that's what I feel. That's like the current iteration of shame that I'm in, like the understanding of shame, because like, as I've evolved through my own shame and and processing of the shame that I've carried and recognizing of the shame that was given to me and the shame that I've given others, um, I've realized that simply put the antidote, the best antidote I know of for shame is connection. It's the opening up. It's the vulnerability. It's the, I need help. It's the, do you feel this? Cause I feel this. Um, and anything that makes me feel like I should be pulling in and down in a way is shame for me now. And I've gotten really good at recognizing it in my body. I've practiced really hard on where emotions sit in my body. And so now whenever I feel that shame, you know, hanging out, I do a lot of things. Like I get curious about it. Like before it can take root in me, I go, wait, why am I feeling this shame? Like what, why do I feel this way? Or I pause before I insert the, I am bad and pull away and in, I pause and think about, you know, what's led me to where I am currently going. Um, and thankfully all of these iterations of shame and my experiences of it are, I do believe helping me not carry so much of it around, not internalize Mm -hmm. so much of it, but I will say too, um, I, I don't know if we are as a world, I don't know if we're ready to get rid of shame. I think we like it too much, which is really unfortunate because even I can be ready to go and feeling so good about my shame. And then I turn on the TV and it's like, not skinny enough, not pretty enough, not a good enough mom, not smart enough to be doing what you're doing. Your business sucks. You know, um, all the abuse that you, uh, went through as a kid, be quiet about it. Shut up. We don't believe you, you know? And it it just feels like, we, I can, we can all do our own work for shame and it's valuable and important work, but then there's also like this level of now shame. I feel kind of like a, a surfer. I'm like riding, riding the waves of shame. Like instead of going down underneath the waves and like living there, I mm-hmm. ride the waves now more often. And I surf the shame because there's shame everywhere. Yeah. Um, and I, I spend really... less time with it. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. sorry. No, no I, was... I just can keep talking. It's not good. <laughs> I was going to ask how you got to that point, because you talked about how you used to feel this way. You used to feel the shame. And now you're like understanding where shame is in your body. And like, yeah. you want to open up about it. What made you? What got you there? Yeah. A lot of therapy. 
but also so there's like I don't know I don't know if you guys have talked about or know about inner child work um I feel like it's pretty popular right now in the world of psychology inner child work is essentially just like the reparenting of yourself so it's just like meeting little you younger you and inner child work I mean you were a child until you were 18 so but I I don't know I feel like inner personal work like looking back on any point in the past at, at you with grace and love and understanding that is inner child work to me um and there's a lot of ways that therapists use it in like a practical way, like modalities, there's exercises, there's sides of self, there's, you know, writing with your non-dominant hand to tune into inner you, there's meditations, like there's so much. So like if you're listening to this and you're going, oh, maybe inner child work is for me, there are so many ways to tune into little you. Um, but for me, the most effective way that I have ever found to tune into little me, I did this pretty early on in my therapy, um, is I sit and I close my eyes and I picture little M and I'm like right around like five to seven. That's when my, when the sexual abuse in my life began and I'm like right around five or seven and I know what my hair looks like and I know what my shirt looks like and I'm just this cute little thing, you know, and I look a lot like my daughter, which it has definitely helped having a daughter to be like, oh yeah, that's what I looked like. But I keep pictures of little me around so that I can tune into her. And it just feels like sitting with me, there's like this little M that lives in me that is, is so ready to cheer me on and love me. Like little M needs no precursors to like why she should love me. But at the same time, little M is also going through such hardship. Little M is like wading through the shit of sexual abuse and not being, not knowing how to talk about it and not feeling safe. And like the comparison, my body's changing at that age. Like it's just before puberty and I'm starting to get chubby. And it's just before all the fat shaming and bullying begins in my life. And in, in my heart, that is how tuning into that little M is how I have navigated all of this learning of shame and, and learning about it in my body. Um, it really has just been tuning out the noise and tuning into something that means a lot to me. Um, I, another really great way that I have navigated shame to learn about it is accepting my feelings and recognizing like, you know, when I'm mad, I feel anger like in my shoulders a lot. Like I feel it high in my shoulders and in my neck and my arms and recognizing where other feelings sit in my body, like joy and peace and shame has really helped me. And, mm -hmm. and, um, just accepting that shame is an emotion and it can, enter and leave like all the other emotions mm -hmm. and it's really sticky shame likes to stick around you know I think it's in my opinion it's stickier than other emotions <laughs> but um anyway it's just I've learned about a lot of this from self-awareness and like tuning in tuning out the noise and and really like coming back to my center and little m is my yeah. center so you mentioned how a lot of this shame kind of came out like once you got married and you started kind of yeah. having flashbacks. Um, what was that like experience like for you personally and with mm. understanding your emotions and trying to navigate that shame when it all first hit? Um, it was shitty. <laughs> it was really hard. I remember... <clears throat> I passed my very first kidney stone when I was beginning to have flashbacks and, um, my period was late one month for like, actually for like three months, I didn't have a period. And then I 
you know, had a really horrific period. Um, I lost a ton of weight. My hair fell out. Um, my body just like my body was really going through it. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a book called the body keeps the score. I can never remember the dude's name who wrote it. He has a, he has an interesting last name that I'm not as familiar with and I can't ever say it right, but it's called the body keeps the score. And it's essentially what his research and his work has, has shown him. And what he believes as he's writing this book is that our body remembers trauma. So like when our brains are left and right hemispheres can't connect and our brain goes into um, fight or flight and we're like our lizard brain and we're in survival mode. Um, our body keeps that the score. Our body then takes over and like remembers that trauma. Uh -huh. um, so for me, it was really difficult because uh, I was with, I was with a, my, my partners with this person that I loved and connected with. And um, I had chosen to marry this person and I felt so unworthy for this person. And I just like kept shoving it down, kept shoving it down. And then it would like pop up while we were engaged and I would try to break up with him. And he'd be like, no, you're not like, he, he wasn't like, you have to be with me. But he was like, why do you want to break up? And I was like, well, because I'm not good enough for you. You deserve so much better. And he'd be like, nope, none of that nonsense. You know, that's not yeah. true at all. Like if, if you don't want to be with me because of me, then okay. But if you don't want to be with me because you don't think you're worthy of me, that's a no, you know, like you are worthy of me. So anyway, it had kind of just like been this like storming cycle um, and, and sex had a ton to do with it. Like being intimate, uh, my body remembered all the yeah. abuse that I experienced, especially the sexual abuse. And so, uh, it was really shitty. I actually look back on that time of life and there are p points in my life that if I could go back to and like observe just to like, see, you know, like a movie, I would love to, like, there are summer camps that I went to as a kid that I would just love to watch again and watch myself enjoying it. There were times in college that I was living it up and loved it. Um, I would never go back to early married me because I, ah. as much as I loved my husband as a, and as excited as I was to start our life together, I was going through it and it was really lonely and I didn't know how to talk about it. I just remember, yeah. you know, waking up from nightmares where I would relive my abuse um, and I would be telling my husband about this, these horrific things that I had not told him about before. And he'd be like, I'm so sorry. And he didn't know what to do to just hold me. And, you know, he navigated it really well. I I'm really proud of us for how we did navigate it. But I think, um, if you've ever gone through that, you're, you're brave, you're powerful, you have power. And even though it feels like you're falling apart, um, your body and brain are, are doing a good job at trying to, to say, Hey, this is an important thing to remember and, yeah. and process through. So, yeah. At the time, did you understand the two things to be connected? Like, your um, uh, yeah, because so I, I went to school for marriage and family studies and with a, oh. an emphasis on pre-therapy, like clinical professional emphasis. So my hope is that someday I'll get my master's and become a counselor or a therapist. But yeah, I, I had gone to like, I had taken classes and I had been in therapy before for some anxiety that I had experienced in college. Um, so I knew enough to be like, oh, like this is, but I also, I didn't know enough to give myself grace. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's where it was. Like my, my mind was like, you know, this is happening to me and I'm processing it and I'm remembering it. I didn't have the words like processing and flashbacks and, you know, dissociation. Yeah. I didn't know those words yet, but I could say like, I'm remembering these experiences that I went through and it's really difficult. Um, and I'm go, I feel it, you know? 
So like with that, before your flashbacks, like, did you have like, did you just push it all down? Did you ignore it? Did you just not tell anybody? What was that? Like, how did I survive? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no. So when the abuse began, I mean, cause I experienced like emotional and physical abuse, abuse all throughout my childhood. The sexual abuse occurred as a child from like about five to like eight or nine ish is what my memory tells me. Um, and then I was in an abusive relationship from 16 to 18 as well. So I had like this like period of time where um, it wasn't happening, the sexual abuse. I was still being physically abused and emotionally abused in my home, but the sexual abuse wasn't occurring. So there was like this respite period. And especially in high school, just before I entered into the abusive relationship that I was in, there was like a really peaceful period of like, you know, and in those moments of rest, if I slowed down, I started to remember. So I really kept myself busy. Okay. Um, and, and there was like a pocket in me that like held it. I don't know. I, I, it's really hard to describe because it's not like I was like, Oh man, I was abused. It wasn't like that. It was really like my realities came crashing together and I was finally forced to face what happened to me was abusive, you know, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't appropriate. Um, there were definitely memories that I repress, like, like as I've done trauma work and EMDR work, there are memories that I can like, think of it like Swiss cheese. Um, so I like have some memories, but then there are holes. Uh, and, and so that it was really hard as my memories were, were reassociating because, um, like our, our recall, we can remember what we did yesterday and we can like almost kind of tell ourselves like a story about it. Mm -hmm. And if the day is normal, if we haven't experienced a traumatic event, our brain processes that and it stores what it wants to store in our long-term memory. And then we go on about our life and our brain isn't like struggling about like why August 11th was a hard day. It's just like, Oh, August 11th was a normal day. But when I was going through all these sporadic like sporadic in the sense of memories, but constant in the sense of like a vertical timeline. When I was going through all these traumatic events, it was like punching out holes in my memory. And then the shame and and fear of telling people and being bad and labeled as gross and sinful and wrong, um, like pushed, put pressure on that piece of cheese. And so it was like flat and full of holes and like the process of re- associating that I I don't know if I will ever be able to recall like a full and perfect picture of it like I I just my brain can't my my body remembers and has feelings but my body isn't like my left elbow is not like oh this is what happened on that Mm -hmm. day you know like I I know what happened but I also don't know what happened so it's really tricky to answer that question um because yeah like as I as I grew I did I did have part of me that always knew but I repressed the shit out of that part of me I kept myself busy I didn't want to sit down I was interested or involved in a ton of activities and a ton of things to keep myself just like going because going was easier than sitting and remembering so that that's my long non-answer answer answer. (laughs) no I think you answered it and that makes complete sense I feel like it would be it'd be very scary especially not knowing or being afraid to talk about it so you would kind of just keep going run from it in a way right right uh so when you you talked about 
as a kid going through this, you didn't want to come across as gross or sinful and Mm. so many other things. Um, The first time that you ever mentioned any of this or that you like started to recognize it again was after you were married then, right? Um, No. So I actually did tell an adult in my childhood and um, that adult doesn't remember me telling them, which is really devastating, but I remember telling them and nothing happened in my memory. Like I remember what they said to me and it was like something along the lines of, you know, that person shouldn't have done that to you. And if it happens again, come and tell me. But, um, in my memory, nothing happened. Like there was no, we didn't like come together and talk about it. There was no, what happened to you was wrong. I'm so sorry. There wasn't like support after that. And it also was tricky because, uh, while I have good memories of my childhood and there was a lot of love in my childhood, there was also a lot of chaos and turmoil and abuse. And it was, it was like when you're living in fight or flight and you are like reading the people in your lives emotions to know how bad of a day it's going to be. Um, there's so many things like slip through the cracks, like Mm -hmm. things that aren't necessary for your survival slip through the cracks, you know? So I think it was easy for, um, the person that I told and myself too, to just kind of like take that as what it was because we were still living in this really tumultuous home and had tumultuous people around us where abuse was occurring. And it was like the systemic cultural thing, you know? Um, so the first time that I told someone about it with knowledge that that wasn't okay was my husband for sure. Um, I, I do think I may have told a boyfriend in high school, but it was not a productive conversation. It was like, a you know, my childhood was really hard and I was, I deserved it. I know. Like, it was like a lot of shamey anxiety over like, if they tell me that I deserved it, that will devastate me. So I'm going to tell myself that I deserved it. So they can't tell me that, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So with like the abuse, then like the experiences, uh, the experience you had, like you, were you told that you deserved it? Or like, were you like, I don't know, like, or did you just tell yourself that? Like, what were you being told that made you feel shame? So, um, it's interesting because I have two examples of sexual assault. I have a childhood example. And then I was still a child as a 16 to 18 year old, but I was, um, I was in a relationship with someone that I, you know, cared about and that I wanted to be with. And, and when I was a kid, it was different. So I think the the media portrays sexual assault as like this really violent, graphic, sudden thing. Like uh, someone is attacked and they're raped or, or assaulted. And that does happen. Absolutely. And your story is no less valid if that happened to you. And I'm so sorry. I believe you that that happened to you and it was wrong and you shouldn't have been treated like that. And And it's despicable that another human would do that to someone. But my sexual abuse as a kid was so coercive and it's really, really messes up your brain when your body has physiological reactions. So like when you're stimulated in certain areas, you're going to feel pleasure. Like our bodies are literally created to feel pleasure when Mm -hmm. areas of them are stimulated. Mm -hmm. So as a kid, I'm getting, you know, I'm getting all this really messed up feedback and, um, of like my body liked it. But then the people who were abusing me were also actively telling me that if I told anyone, I would be in so much trouble and I would be grounded. And, you know, mom and dad are going to be so mad if you tell your mom and dad. And just like, so I was actively being told that my responses were bad and sinful. And then I would go to church on Sunday and learn about like 
being a clean vessel and a pure vessel. And then young women's, I was in, I was in, uh, it's like a church youth program, um, uh, in my church where young women from 12 to 18 go, and they learn a lot about like chastity and purity and morality and virtue. And I was actively being told that all these things that I had already felt were wrong and bad. Like, it's so jarring to be a kid and like go to school and like learn how to cut straight lines and be like, oh, I gave someone a blowjob last night, or I was, I had an orgasm last week, you know, like it's, it's like, oh, but I'm, I'm learning how to cut straight lines. Cause I don't know how to cut straight lines or like, oh, my friends are talking about this concert that they're going to go to next weekend. Uh, and so I have to be excited about that, you know, or like my favorite color is pink. And we're going to talk about how much we love pink, you know, like it's so, it was like, again, like the mask, like I would put on the mask yeah. and that would be the, the, um, the way that I presented myself, but the shame was always there. The shame of not speaking up, of not feeling safe, of going home and feeling gross and dirty and wrong. And of sitting in those church meetings, feeling gross and dirty and wrong and bad, it was visceral. And, and, um, then as a high school student, you know, as I'm dating this person who was abusive, uh, that one was really, really interesting because I was actively part of the persona that everything's fine. We're fine. I really care for this guy. We're happy. Everything's good. Mm -hmm. But then like, I'm showing up to school with bruises all over and I didn't know what a toxic relationship looked like. I didn't know that there were red flags in another person. I didn't know it wasn't okay to be coerced. You know, I didn't, I didn't recognize any of that because my childhood and yeah. all the shame and all the, like the blueprint of my life up to that point told me that what I was currently experiencing wasn't that bad, you know? So yeah, uh, yeah the, there was a lot of shame for sure. And, and it's, it showed up in really unique ways. Um, some of it directly from the people who abused me. Also some of it systemically, culturally, you know, the messaging that I was given, but then also when you hear people share their story in the media, like when people stand up and, and seek prosecution or litigation, they're shamed. They are, they are not believed. They are criticized. Yeah. They are, their lives are changed forever, you know? And so that was, that was the other example that I had. I was like, Oh, not going to do that. Not going to, not going to ruin my life, you know? So, yeah. Right. What I guess was the healing process like because when you first realized that it was abusive and not right and you wanted to start I guess moving forward and healing uh with a healthy relationship like what was that experience like oh man well it came in stages and phases so like you know going to college was really helpful because it was I was able to see how people lived and how other people interacted with their families and with their significant others and how they treated themselves. And that was an eye opener to me. I felt like an observer a lot in college. And, you know, I, I've always had like this really loud, laughable, like class clown type of personality. Um, and I remember feeling super out of my element in college because I was just continually confronted with new things. And some of that's natural and normal. Some of that has nothing to do with the fact that I had an abusive childhood. But some of it directly impacted my perception of my childhood. So I like, you know, the classic story of like, you're telling your friends a story and they're like, looking at you like, that's not funny. And you're like, oh, that's not funny to you. You know, like your family <laughs> didn't also do that or that didn't also happen to you. You know, that happened to me quite a bit in college. And I remember just being like, okay, I'm going to stop telling those stories, <laughs> you know? Um, 
so it came in phases and stages like early on. And then as I, when I met my husband, um, he wasn't the first man who, who hadn't treated me poorly. I had been with other men who were kind and good to me, but he was the first man that I could really truly see myself being with who didn't treat me like a piece of shit. And I'm I like, that's like devastating to say, because I deserved so much better the whole time, all my life. I deserve so much better. We all do. Um, but he was just so good. Like, that's how I describe my husband is he's good and he's kind. And I know you're supposed to heal like on your own. You're supposed to know your own worth and your authenticity and that's valuable. But I relied heavily on my husband in those first few years of healing. Like I, I know he was an integral part of my story. Um, I feel like sometimes you gotta. right right like he he was definitely a support person in my life and I'm really grateful for him because he didn't know we didn't know what the hell we were doing we didn't know how to navigate any of this we just we just got in together and did it together yeah okay so my question that I have for you is how have you gotten to where you are today because throughout the podcast as you've talked about um like your little self or like times that you have felt that you deserved it or you felt unworthy, but then you talk about your current self and how Mm. you deserve more or how you deserve this greatness and your worth is just so high. And it's just so incredible to see that you've come that far, but what got you there? Mm. So, um, man, so many things. Uh, so when I decided that I didn't want to end my life, um, when my daughter was a baby, I, started with affirmations. And it's so funny because I've spoken to other people who are like, affirmations did not work for me. And then I've spoken to other people who are like, oh, I love affirmations. And wherever you're at, um, a mental health tool saved my life. I couldn't afford therapy. My husband and I, I had just graduated college. My husband was still a full-time student and a worker. And um, I was a new mom. So we couldn't afford therapy. We didn't have good enough insurance for it. So I uh, just started reading books. I started following people on Instagram, like, um, Tiffany Rowe and the holistic psychologist and Brene Brown. And I started reading books and I, I just desperately wanted to not hate myself anymore. Like, I know that sounds like so dramatic and like the bare minimum to not hate yourself, but I, and since I've done this, I've heard so many other people's stories that sound similar. Like we really do walk around sometimes hating ourselves. And it's, it's so sad. We deserve so much better. You know, we deserve to not hate ourselves. We deserve to celebrate ourselves. Um, but anyway, so I just, I didn't want to hate myself anymore. So I walked through the affirmations and I started to really challenge my thoughts about how unworthy I was and how unlovable I was and how much I deserved to be miserable and to feel lonely. And I just really challenged those thoughts and I started to replace them. And it was a slow process. Um, and I still had mental health struggles. I still experienced, like I still lived, you know, almost another nine months with postpartum depression. Um, you know, had to talk to my husband about that and get some help and support from him and some division of labor um, so that I wasn't doing everything for the baby all the time. And then um I just kept going. Like it was like a snowball. And sometimes I had really slow momentum, like some, especially on the, the really difficult months I have seasonal affective disorder. So I get the sad, the the moody sads in the winter and in the winter that year. And then, um, uh, the winter of 2020 as well, were were really rough winters and I was really struggling, but I continue to challenge my thoughts and continue to learn all that I could for free. 
Um, I signed up for a lot of master classes and a lot of like book clubs and email lists with like free mental health tidbits and tools and support and advice. Um, I tuned into a lot of Instagram lives. Um, I just did as much as I could for free. And then when we were able to, to afford therapy, when my husband's job changed, um, and we had better insurance, I hopped into therapy real quick and, mm-hmm. um, I loved therapy and I still love therapy. Uh, and now my, my journey really does look very similar to that, where I continue to challenge my beliefs and my thoughts, where I'm, I'm, where I'm hard on myself and cruel to myself. But honestly, you know, the advice that I give to people who ask me, like, how do I not hate myself? How do I get to where I like living in my body and I believe myself and I am kind to younger me? How do I get there? It really, truly for me and the advice that I tell other people is it starts with grace And there's going to be a lot of challenging of shame along the way. And it ends with grace. Um, You have to be kind to yourself. You have to be cool to yourself. You have to be gentle with yourself. You know, you have to uh, give yourself the credit that you are so easy and willing to give other people. You have to give yourself the love that you so easily throw to other people. Mm -hmm, And, and it's an act of rebellion, but it's also honestly the best thing I've ever done is, is not hate myself and work on that. Good. I love that so much. I love that you kept bringing up, you kept saying the word challenge because it is definitely yes. a challenge to have to rewire your brain from saying those negative thoughts right. and just to tell yourself the good. And yes. even like the simple words, um, yes. it is a challenge. It's hard. And you've been working so hard at it. And I'm very proud of you. Um, my next question was going to be what advice you have. And you answered that so <laughs> great. So it's perfect. Um, and I think that one of the things that you said, that's like advice is and not even advice, but like what people can do is like, look for the free source resources. Oh yeah. There are so many. And I think yeah. that's a really good point that you brought that up. Um, especially like even your podcast is one of those sources I mm-hmm. think people can turn and can feel like there's hope. There is a place in this world where you don't have to live in that shame. And we would love if people could go and follow you and follow along with your journey and get the amazing advice and life resources knowledge I have yes. loved like the amount of like really knowledge that you have and the way that you express your words you have like what is it called I just said it oh analogies <laughs> you have really good analogies and I think that it describes it well and it definitely help can help a lot of people yeah. thank you so much really, like talk about your podcast a ton, but would you like to share with everybody? Where can we find you? Yeah. So, um, I tease my husband that my, our podcast, my podcast is our third child. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I love my podcast. It's speaking to shame. You can find it literally anywhere. Um, you can say, Hey, Alexa, play speaking to shame and Alexa will play speaking to shame. Um, which took so long to make that happen, by the way, (laughs) nobody's used that feature. And I just want one person to use that feature. I don't have an Alexa. I totally would. That's cool. Anyway, Alexa, (laughs) we do. (laughs) It's just not in this room. Uh, but yeah, you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, and I strive to 
connect you just like, you know, Kylie and Sierra, just like what you've done on your podcast. I strive to connect you with real people who also know what it's like to go through the shit that you're going through and to be wading through the shame and the, the difficulty, um, and to normalize it because there is nothing wrong with having feelings with having, you know, a hard time. There's nothing wrong with having mental health needs or struggles. There's nothing wrong with depression or anxiety or bipolar, um, or PTSD. And I just, I seek to normalize that as much as possible um, because we're getting shame in enough places. We're getting, we're being given shame in enough places. And we're also um, shaming ourselves for enough things that uh, it's just an honor to be a part, a small voice and a small part of the, the not that <laughs> the anti to that, but yeah, so it's speaking to shame um, on wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find me on Instagram at hello, Emily Stearman. Um, I don't have a Facebook. I do have a TikTok and hello, Emily Stearman was too long for TikTok. So on TikTok, I'm M speaks a lot, um, which is kind of confusing. And I'm sorry. I know that's not great branding, but nah. TikTok was like, you can be, you cannot be hello, Emily Stearman. We don't have enough characters for you. And I was like, disrespectful TikTok. Okay. Oh, okay, <laughs> so, rude. <laughs> yeah. So that's where I am on the interwebs. Um awesome. Yeah. And I would just love to connect with whoever. Uh, it's just such an honor to be here. And thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's so fun to do this. Thank you again so, so much. And we encourage our listeners to go check her podcast out and stay tuned because we're actually going to be on one of her episodes. Yes. And it was super fun to record that with her. Uh, she does a really good job. And so yeah, go check her out and see you next week. <laughs> thank you so much. No, thank you.